Are you a business owner looking for real advice and input? You're in the right place. From concept to launch to growth, funding and beyond. Welcome to Startup Hustle with your hosts. One once sold a business for $150 million. The other, the author of Million Dollar Bedroom. Here are your hosts of Startup Hustle, Matt DeCorsi and Matt Watson. And we're back. Another episode of Startup Hustle. Daryl Blackburn here with myself, Matt DeCourcy, for section three of the Million Dollar Bedroom story, which is the lessons to learn before starting the next big thing. Um, for those of you that tune in the last couple episodes, this, uh, this one's going to go a little quicker. And I'm going to go ahead and do wrap up the some of the stuff so right around the time the, of the story where we're having a great i i feel like i'm having a great idea in regards to online booking and stuff like that um and that's what i that's what the idea with the soapy bubbles on the dog was all about it was that i felt that i had this great idea to do online scheduling and all this stuff i went to saint thomas i got married and my, oh, I love you, honey. But the, uh, my wife had to listen to this great idea that I had had. Like we were, we got married and we were at our honeymoon. You went to St. Thomas with us, right? You were talking to this, about this idea to me on the beach. On the beach, right. The whole trip. And I was like, dude, I got this great idea. I think it's going to be so great. And I, and you know, along the way, it also like Googled some of this stuff. And I saw that uh, Intuit had purchased a, a company similar to this for like 450 million bucks. And I was like, wow, you know, there's a lot going on there. Um, and, and, you know, really at this point as well, a lot of the stuff with, and I don't want to talk too much more about the ticket business at, here after here in a minute, but um, after we got married, we had made the decision to move to Kansas city, which is where we are now. That's five years ago. And, and we're, uh, we're here now. And uh, we've been here and um, the million dollar bedroom turned into the million dollar basement. Um, we actually moved out of the house with the squirrel and the floorboard. I Fuck that squirrel, by the way, man. I, how bad was, how annoying was that? The squirrel was very annoying we used and to, it was nonstop. It was a squirrel or a chipmunk or a family of both or something. And we had at that point had three or four like critter people that had come and we, and you know, there was nothing. So anyway, um, I moved out of that house and, and you stayed in Indianapolis and lived in it for a little bit. I did. God, do you hate the squirrel the same way I do? I did. Okay. Although I'm still not convinced that it didn't hop on the moving truck and follow you here. What is it? Cause I have a squirrel living in my attic right now. I mean, now? I don't think that's a coincidence. I know it's the same squirrel. So, oh man. I mean, it's really, uh, you know, getting away from the whole topic of squirrels or other vermin. Um, you know, like I said, we're going to, so anyway, that, you know, the ticket company, um, you know, it, it, and I'm going to wrap that whole story up. We did that till 2016. Um, and that, that lowly business that we started that we knew nothing about and had no money on, uh, we generated over $30 million worth of revenue. Um, uh, between 2009 and December of 2016. Um, the next part of this is actually going to talk about the next phase of what we did. And this is where software development and a lot of other things related to it really became what I do full time. It's what I still do now. 
Um, also, for those of you reading, it's also the section of the book that has this Matt Watson story in it. And, uh, um, you know, you re- Daryl, you recently spent some time with Matt. He knows a couple things. A few. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> he did all right. I mean, he sold a company for 150 million bucks. That's pretty good. And, and you know, what's funny is that, that, you know, that and being around guys like Matt made me realize that I got a lot, I got a lot of work left to do. Yep. Uh, I felt like the million dollar bedroom story was good. Um, for those of you wondering, and I get asked this question a lot. Yes, we made quite a bit of money, but why did I quit? I hated it, man. I got tired of it. Um, it wasn't other, you know, I always tell people that, that money has a soft pillow and that means like making a lot of it will make you sleep well at night and, uh, and be cool with the process. But really in the end, I didn't, you know, cause let's just get down to the brass tacks here. We were, we were ticket scalpers. We were online ticket scalpers. Um, you know, we didn't, we weren't doing anything illegal or crazy or anything like that, but it wasn't, it just didn't really feel like what I really wanted to do or what I was capable of. Would you agree? I think so. I think we had a lot of talks about that and kind of the mark that you leave on the world. Right. And I, I don't think that that was necessarily the mark that either of us thought should define us. Right. And so, and, you know, and that's what we're going to, so here after we moved and whatever, you know, we, we thought, you know, that, well, long story short, this is where, where I founded gigabook.com. And we realized that it wasn't going to be something that got started right away. And it wasn't going to have success right away. But we felt that we could do something meaningful and whatever. And now to kind of bring us up to speed to where this starts is... The same technology that we had used to make pages automatically for websites, which, by the way, when we did that, that was pretty revolutionary. Now that's pretty par for the course. You could right. do that with a lot of things, but we were really innovative and creative. Yeah. And and you know what happened after uh, we got hit with a Google penalty for some of our blogging stuff was it took a few months, but we ended up figuring out how to repurpose that technology into some things that uh, created. Uh, copy for ads like online ads and there was a now well-known site that does really lame stuff backpage.com um, and we figured out we could put they had a ticket section now backpage is known for more nefarious stuff but <laughs> we found a certain kind of uh, uh, pleasant feeling in gaming them and it drove a lot of traffic to the sites websites still sold stuff and stuff like that until one day that that didn't work um, and at that point we, that was our retirement from affiliate marketing. I just didn't really, I was tired of the constant kick to the balls from places like Google. Um, so we did all right with that and, you know, the ticket business kind of remained constant, but we really started spending a lot of money and a lot of time on, um, on building what's now gigabook.com. So, Section three, a million dollar bedroom is titled the lessons to learn before starting the next big thing. How many lessons have we learned, Daryl? I can't count that high. I know it's, it's ridiculous. I mean, it really is. It is a extremely high number. Um, and once again, we are going into something that we just didn't know a ton about. So at this point, Gigabook started in 2013. 
And we have had, you know, we've built some software, we built some processes and do stuff like that. And we have some good people that worked for us that needed something else to do. So it made a lot of sense. Um, so we had to start, we had an idea. And I remember on the way back from the wedding, I'm sitting on the plane with my new wife and I'm writing down all these names that we could name this on, on a napkin, on a napkin on the flight. And I get back home and that's where the this section of the book is titled, are there any dot coms left? Cause not a single one of them was available. I think the answer is no. It, it got, it sure felt like that. It sure felt like that. I ended up finding Gigabook in, in an auction, like just like an online auction on GoDaddy. And I paid 500 bucks for it. And I was like, oh my God, I can't believe I Gigabook. What a great name. It's only eight symbols, Gigabook. It all makes sense for online and it's booking. And I just felt like a genius. So I was like, I can't believe I got this for 500 bucks. So clear, I am foggy on this. Did that originally come from like book a gig? I don't know. I thought I, for some reason, that's what I kept thinking that we were originally talking one day and we were like, cause we had some different ones around appointment. And then there was something about book a gig back to your music. I was looking up background. Uh, I was looking up things related to book, booking, scheduling, appointment. The word uh, scheduling and appointment are really long. Booking is really long. So right. I was, you know, in, in, uh, in GoDaddy's domain auction or secondary site, you can say, show me only eight characters that have the word book in it or something like that. And I saw it and I was like, it, it took me a little bit to get the buyer to accept the 500 bucks. Yeah, and, I remember and, that. And, you know, I really, I was like, dang, we have a winner. So we went ahead and then that's when we, uh, we started out. And at that point we had maybe even built like the world's worst MVP, but we had a homepage for Gigabook. And I was trying to get people to give me feedback about the homepage. And that's when I realized that everyone was like Gigabooks, which is still a pet peeve to this day. I'm like, it, I never at any point was this plural. And they're like, I went to gigabooks.com, but I didn't see anything. And I was like, I immediately knew I had a problem. And it's because I didn't own gigabooks.com. And I was like, shit. And I knew it was a big problem because probably the first 15 people I asked to give feedback on that homepage, half of them went to gigabooks.com. And people still say gigabooks and it drives me crazy. But why does it drive me crazy? Because I realized I had a problem and I had to fix it. And they'd already. So, first of all, I went through a couple of things. Uh, at the same point, I also kind of freaked out because I realized that there was once a laptop product called the Gigabook. And I was like, oh my God, am I, so not only do I not own gigabooks.com, am I also violating a copyright or a trademark? And I came to realize, I actually called my attorney and he told me, he said, the term giga and book are so general that as, as unless you are doing, unless you're making laptops, you don't, you're not going to be infringing on anything. It's completely different. So I was like, okay, cool. Because I realized at that point, too, I had to go try to acquire gigabooks.com, which, by the way, cost me three times more than gigabook.com. And all it does is freaking forward to gigabook.com. So if you type in gigabooks.com, it will take you back to gigabook. But it wasn't quite as cheap as uh, as the, you know, the original um, 
thing. So there's a few things to that. And you remember that whole, that whole bit. Oh yeah. So at that point we had come back and, you know, I moved to Kansas city uh, six weeks after I got married and we were looking at, we had sketched some of this stuff out and that's when we talked to our, uh, our developers in Cebu and we said, how long is this going to take to build? Because here's the thing, at that point, for all of our marketing stuff, we had built calendars for the, you remember we built notifications to email people to let them know when their tickets had shipped. Yep. We had done reminders. We had done all kinds of stuff. And I said, you know what? We, we have all the pieces here. We can build this really quick. And they told me six months. How did that work out? Well, I mean, what part do you want to fast forward to? I want, Where it's actually built uh, years later. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, six months, my ass. Um, you know, we gave a million dollar lesson. I'm actually not, you know, I, I'm going to save the rest of those for you in the book. If you want to get it, you can buy it on Amazon or somewhere like that. I don't know. Come ask me nicely. I'll give you a copy. But, you know, you got to always assume that things are going to take a hell of a lot longer and be more expensive to build than they than they are. And that is where that lesson starts. But before we get to that, let's talk about your ideas, meaning like you listening and how valid are they? And, you know, I have a section how, you know, how tall is the ceiling in here? And with anything you're going to do, you have to give strong consideration to the capacity that that market can bear. So at this point, we're looking at this and all right. So in, in 2013, I'll give you some perspective. You still had a hard time ordering pizzas online from a lot of places. And now you can order a pizza at, through your, by putting the pizza emoji in Twitter, you know, and stuff like that. But it was hard. And, I, and at this point, like, and I've always felt that I've had some ability to, to spot trends. I had done that with tickets. I realized the, the ability to do tickets online. And, you know, when I first started doing tickets, most tickets were uh, hard ticket stops. And once I started seeing that, I, it, you know, I watched the music industry fail because a lot of these retailers weren't being competitive with online and catalog merchants for things that were easily shippable. If something, if you can ship it easily and it's not expensive, you don't need a freaking retail store for it. Right. So I knew that's why we never opened a brick and mortar ticket place yeah i mean that we we considered it we considered it but we let it it, out yeah because for that same reason Mm -hmm. we're like this is all going to trend to electronic what the frick do we need brick and mortar for and along the way the the uh the the other uh ticket broker companies you know, I want to, the very, you know what, we're going to just say the last thing we did about tickets. When we ended up going out, my wife and I went to TechCrunch and that was in San Francisco. And we had a long, that's where StubHub is. And we had a long standing relationship with StubHub that was uh, sometimes tumultuous, but ended up being really great. When we went out there, they told us that for the prior three years, we had been as high as the 12th largest seller of concert tickets on StubHub. Dude, that is a multi-billion dollar marketplace. So I was really surprised with that. I actually didn't like that. I didn't want to, I didn't want to be someone else's low hanging fruit or whatever, but (laughs) at the time, you know, but we had been in the top 20 for three years and I was like, Oh wow. And that kind of gives you some perspective about the scale of what you're doing. And um, anyway, that was, 
that was interesting. And it tells you how high the ceiling was there. So with Gigabook, we looked at it and I said, man, you know, this on- online booking is just the way of the future. Like, and, and it is, it is now like how many email and I wish more of them were Gigabook, but how many people have a thing in their email signature that says book an appointment, schedule a time to talk, like everything, everything goes online. And why it's because people want convenience, man. That's where everyone spends their time. Why, why is Amazon so powerful? It's because it's really easy to buy stuff. And, and Amazon has, you know, they, I I say the Amazon effect because people want to get what they want when they want it. And they, and, you know, people had an early, when we were trying to build Gigabook, I talked to people that do appointments and they'd, they'd say stuff like, well, my clients really value my personal interaction. No, they don't. They don't. They want, they don't want to talk to you. Actually, if they don't have to, they won't. They want to take one minute, if that, to book an appointment. They want to do it through your website. They want to know when you're available. How much time do you waste? When are you available? I don't know. When are you available? What, how about Thursday at 2? Nope, I'm not available then. How about you click this link and pick a time that you're available? And I'll give you a call. Right? So as far as the ceiling for online booking went, I felt like it was really high. And you remember how confident we were in that, right? Mm-hmm. So... You know, here we are in the middle of what I call the startup phenomenon. Is it fair to say that everybody on the planet did a startup? Pretty close. It feels like yeah. it, man, or worked for one or something. I like, thought they could in some capacity. It was so, I mean, and it's, it's, I don't feel like it's as trendy as it was, but maybe it is. I don't know. At the time, it just felt like everybody was doing a startup. Well, here's the thing is, is whether you're starting or you're doing something or whatever, like if you're really successful, you can, you can expect the imitators and the competition to be on your heel right away. Uh, look at my story. Um, when, with starting Gigabook, I did that because finding out that a similar company had been acquired for $454 million, it sent up a signal flare to me. I was like, this is validation. Right now, this is validation. And, uh, you know, so there we went. I was like, because I knew we didn't want to do tickets forever. I knew we weren't going to do it forever. So anyway, here we get into that whole thing. And now you have to start asking yourself, is there room in here for all of us? Right? No. I mean, so how do you figure some of that out? I mean. Yeah, I think we spent a lot of time checking out the landscape, seeing the uh, the competition, seeing if there was a brand name already intact, and everything pointed towards very favorable for someone to come in and be very disruptive in that industry that we had pretty much identified had a limitless ceiling. Yeah, and I agree. Now, the thing that looking back at it, we didn't realize is it was, we certainly were not the only people thinking the exact same thing at the same time. Right. Um, in fact, there are, I, I have so, we have so much competition at Gigabook. It's just, it's laughable. Um, so we had to find a niche and we had to do some other stuff, but at the time we were pretty confident. We felt like we were going to, we were going to, uh, really move forward quickly with that. And that's when we really, really, really learned how long does it take to earn a dollar? (laughs) <laughs> and we're laughing. Daryl and I are both sitting there looking at each other, just kind of smirking because you know, we thought we had six months later, we were going to have a finished product. So, 
Um, it took a couple years and about a quarter million dollars before we collected a dollar. One dollar, people. Um, man, how does that feel? How did that feel for you? You were helping us build it. Like, what I mean, you- the first dollar felt great. Yeah, but up until that, <laughs> I mean, it's like... It was the two years it took to get there that didn't feel great. Uh, it, it was... It was a good learning period. It was, once again, we jumped into an industry that we basically knew nothing. Well, we not basically, we did know nothing about at the time. We, I mean, we tried to do the research that we could, but it's also a unique industry that it is, it's filled with a ton of unknown unknowns, things you can't even begin to, no matter how much research you do, you can't think to ask these things. Right. They're things that are way out of your sight that you just have to do it, get your hands dirty and they come up as they come up. And I think that's part of why that platform took so long to build. What we thought was the end goal wasn't actually the end goal for that platform. There were right. a lot of things that we weren't able to consider and that we never could have considered, no matter how much work we put into it, that just you had to get people in using it to realize that this is clunky or it needs to work and operate in a different manner so that that, that finish line kept getting moved out. And then we would try to do something with it and it would get moved out again because we got this feedback like, Hey, if you guys don't have this, it doesn't really work right. full suite for what we need. So it, it was a good learning period. It was also, it, it was like we were living, it was groundhog's day, the same day over and over and over. It's like, Oh, give me another day, give me another day. And then we've got this feedback that has to push it out for this. So in that regard, it was a little frustrating, but overall it was a great learning experience. Yeah, it definitely was. I, I look back at it, and I think the thing that I've, uh, the, I've, I've, oh my god, you want to? I, I don't even have time to talk about all the things that we learned from that. But you know, one of the main things was was is get it, get no matter what you're building, get it out, even if you're giving it away for free. Because, like you said, until you get users in it and you get their feedback, it's all just a guess. Mm-hmm. And that's, I think, that's really where we made the biggest mistakes. Because, oh my god, how much stuff did we build? We built so much crap that no one ended up using that we thought they would. And we, we could have just made it so much simpler and so much easier. So that's one thing I would like to touch on. Sometimes simplest is best. We yeah. built the most complex, robust platform that could handle every single part of your business. But the problem is the demographic that we were aimed but at. But it didn't take payments at first. Right. We were like, it should just manage booking. No, yeah. we're not. we don't want to be a point of sale system. Yeah. And p- payment processing at the time was a little different now because, you know, there's PCI compliance, all this mm-hmm. other crap. And we're like, we don't want to mess with that. And uh, when we tried to launch it, and what was the number one thing? Yeah, people payments. Told us, no, I can't take payments. <laughs> I mean, like I look back at that and I'm like, how did we ever like, because, well, it was trying to be simple, but we spent too much time focusing on other crap. Like we could have made a really basic calendar in calendar out kind yes. of thing and you know the thing with with gigabook and you know what gigabook's out there it's great we get oh, hundreds of businesses are running their business mm-hmm. with what we built but my god it took forever to it's you know it's like no matter what it's never going to be perfect i think some of the things that i learned was don't underestimate the complexity of anything right. um with what you talked about it all right so on the surface, creating something that does appointments and bookings seems fairly simple. 
right? In fact, so simple. When I looked back and I was asking myself, I was like, are we violating any copyrights here? I was like, dude, the Romans invented the calendar. You know, like we're not stealing anything here. We're doing all right with that. But, and this should be really simple. But, you know, the thing was that I, the one thing I say I grossly underestimated, other than the time frame to get it done, was the number of if then scenarios. Yes. And, and by if then, meaning if this occurs, then do this. And it triggers this, which triggers this. It's which this has giant. to update that, which has to avoid this, which yeah. has to notify this person. And, and then it's almost like that that appointment became the lifeblood of the business where it was connected to every touch point of the business. Well, it was because yeah. for a service industry that it, for a service business, it's the most it important is. thing. Right. And you know, like, and and I think another thing too that I also learned, and Matt Watson has been instrumental in really helping me understand and believe that this is true, is you can't please everyone with your software and that you have to focus on, on understanding who your customer and your user is. And we spread ourselves way too thin. We were trying to do group stuff. And by the way, What's great about Gigabook now is that it actually does all work. We, right. You can book things, you can book classes, you can book services, but we were trying to do too much of that. We didn't focus on one of them up front. Well, then it became the problem where we made it so good and so complex. It was impossible to onboard and yeah. anybody else. No one could figure out how to use it and use it to its full capacity without a huge guiding hand from us. So then that's back to what we were talking about in some of the first parts with using your time in the most effective way. Well, being on the phone with a customer that's paying a small amount monthly for hours at a time, explaining how to use the platforms, not the or best use of time. Up. And well, it wasn't that it, it, it wasn't that the complexity of Gigabook, although it was too complex at first, it's the fact that we, all right, so you talk about finding your niche and we decided pretty early we weren't going to compete with food or hair or medical for different right. reasons. Food, open table, one. So we weren't going to yeah. fight with them. Um, hair, there were already platforms that were made specifically for hairdressers. And the POS at that point, we didn't. The point of sale yeah, system. we didn't want the point yeah. of sale and they, all the hair salons needed a point of sale. POS stood for other things on a few <laughs> other dates. but And then the final thing with medical and being in Kansas City where Cerner is, well, they won. Uh, that Cerner's the largest medical the provider of, of medical IT software. Um, and also, we didn't want to handle the sensitive information. Um, so here we are. And we, so we said, well, if what we need to do is we want to be the most customizable. So the problem was, is that was our biggest attribute and our biggest enemy. Um, because with customization comes the need to customize. Yeah. And, and teach someone how to work and right. how that can replace their current processes at their business. So it becomes this giant onboarding task. And I realized that if then now also came down to the fact that if 10 people doing the same, running the same business want this, the then is often different. Yes. And their expectation of what it should do, how it should do it, how fast it should do it, and why it should do it became ridiculous. Um, you know, we ended up solving this problem. It took years. We ended up creating a process called Smart Start, which is... 
uh, turned our, so the biggest problem we had with Gigabook forever was that onboarding and, and we knew it like the scalability of it. It just didn't make more sense. We were just going to have to hire more people to help people set up their accounts. And it took a long time. We ended up creating smart start, which is an intelligent onboarding system, which asks you specific questions based off of specific responses. And it does a lot of smart. The reason we call it smart start is it is exactly smart. Um, there are little things, man, like, little goofy things. And, and you want to talk about the mad scientist returning. I really, okay. So Jill went to Indianapolis with our kids to visit her family and I had stayed back for some reason. And, uh, um, and here I am, I went into mad scientist mode and I had all, I was trying to figure out how to build smart start. And I had like a million index cards and like, they were just everywhere. And I was trying to shuffle them around and do this and do that. And I, and I discovered some little things like, that are just flaws in the way we think as people. So when you fill out an address form, the very last field you fill out is usually a zip code, right? If you For me, yes. If you collect that first, that information first, you can now actually make multiple assumptions about the business, the time zone, the city, the currency they, they accept, um, a whole lot of different things uh, that will help you not have to collect those entries. So I made it my mission to make smart start <clears throat> accept information and, and the, the goal and still the goal is always, where can we remove a step? Where can we make this faster? Where can we make it easier? Where can we make it um, quicker and easier to sign up? Well, to, at this point in this day, people now tell me, they're like, I can't believe how easy it is to sign up for Gigabook. And I just like sit back and I'm like, oh man, you don't even know how much that means to me. <laughs> yeah, like I want to cry when I hear that. But um, I mean, it took a long time to figure that out. And I think the thing that we really learned on, on a few things, and and you know, like I said, I this we're almost through this section here. But you know, when it comes to lessons to learn before you start the next big thing, you got to think: Do I have the capital? To, do I have the expertise? Do I have the capital? Do they have the drive, the determination, and the perseverance to get these things figured out? What, what I just described in Smart Start was one of the more innovative things that I believe that we did with the platform. And it was a direct result of learning that you have to immediately attack the things and the problems that equal the highest conversion rate. Right. Like, yeah. I mean, in that case, preventing the highest conversion rate it was directly preventing it. It was until we fixed it. And right. I, our conversion rate doubled with yeah. Smart Start 1. And then Smart Start 2, it's now, I mean, I think. And required no one handholding through the process. Right. Right. And I think we have an industry-leading onboarding system. I don't yeah, see I anyone agree. else doing it the way that we do. And the smooth is what we do. And God, I mean, it still took a year to finish version 2. Um, because it was so complex. All the, all that stuff that we collect has to go so many different places. And we also had to give consideration to what happens if the user revisits it. And, you know, like it's, it's a, it's an ongoing thing, but um, you know, you have to know what you're getting yourself into. And I deal with this with, I talk to, uh, you know, hopefuls and people and, you know, I get this kind of stuff a lot, Daryl. So I'll hear, well, so I've got $10,000 and I'm pretty sure that I'm going to build something. And if I can just get 10% of the people that need this to use it, 
I'm going to be so rich. What's the, where is that flawed? Everywhere. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I mean, where, where should we start? Explain. First of all, getting, it, it's just not flush out. It's a hope and a dream. It's not a business. Like it's a, it's a wish. There's nothing actionable from that plan. That you mean it's not, it's, you mean it's not, it's hard to capture 10% market share? <laughs> just a little bit. Is it really? Yes. Said who? Everybody? I think any, anyone that's ever tried. <laughs> right. <laughs> and, you know, the reason that that's flawed is like why $10,000 sounds like a lot. It's not. And I don't And I'm leaving it just in general. It's not a lot. It is not a whole lot to do a whole lot of anything. Especially if you're trying to do something that requires development. Yeah. Like yeah developing yeah. anything online, whether it be a platform or a website, like good luck. Yeah. It's, it's not a whole lot. It's not a whole lot of runway and it's definitely not a whole lot when it comes to marketing. Right. Yeah. So, uh, but then also you got to be remarkably realistic. Like the idea that you're going to immediately come in and with limited capital and a from scratch start, um, if you're trying to capture market space in anything that is even, that even exists, um, you know, you need to ask yourself, you know, is this, it will first off, if there aren't, if you don't have competition, you need to really, really, really examine the question of, am I first or am I just stupid? And I'm sorry if that is too candid, but if you really are truly and genuinely first, congratulations, but the the next option, if there, if you can't find anybody out there doing exactly what you do, there might very well be a reason for that. And it don't, and I, and when I, I, I'm sorry if it sounds too strong with the term stupid, but if you try to move forward with certain things, then that might be kind of stupid because I think a lot of people have really good ideas, but they don't have the ability to be monetized. And, you know, I had someone talk to me about the concept of the idea. It was an emergency room doctor talking about the ability to, uh, so people come in the ER and they're passed out, but they have their phone in their pocket. He even used examples like even homeless people have an iPhone, you know, and so they're, they're unconscious and they can't unlock the phone to maybe get information on the inside of it. So we wanted to create a button that was like a medical button that an emergency that, uh, certain type of professional could open. He's like, this will save lives. I said, yeah, it probably will. How the fuck are you going to make any money out of it? He's like, well, the insurance companies would save money, blah, 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 blah. I said, dude, path to revenue. You will be half a million dollars and five years of frustration into this before you can get yourself in front of a decision maker. He's like, yeah, but Blue Cross and Blue Shield save this kind of money. I said, can you prove that on paper? Can you show the data that says that this icon on uh, on a locked screen and say, now you're also dealing with Apple's operating system? Because you can't just put an icon on the outside of the locked screen of an iPhone, whatever. You know, you know, you, do you know what ended up happening? Apple did it. Yeah, Apple put it was on there like less than a year later. And uh, I did that person a, a huge service because they would have put a lot of money into that and a lot of time and effort. And then Apple would have given it away for free because it's not a monetizable thing. While the, 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 
the utility, the utility of it and the, and the concept, uh, I mean, yeah, it's saving lives. Yeah. Great idea. But how are you going to be, but if you can't monetize it, it's no good. And then, you know, back to the idea of how tall is the ceiling in here? If there's only a hundred people that'll use your product or your service, dude, you're limited. You're limited. And if there's a huge number of people that'll use it, well, you're going to have competition. I think the thing that is probably the best advice is back to episode 12 of Startup Hustle talking to Laryl Holt, who said, man, I'm, I'm really just a coward. I said, what do you mean? He goes, I just take something that no one else is doing and I go somewhere else where they'll leave me alone and I get really good at doing it. I said, why does that make you a coward? He's like, because I'm not going to be brave and take on Google and Amazon. He's like, I'll take my cowardly idea and I'm going to go do it by myself and I'll get really good at it. But he's right. And there's a lot of there's a lot of merit to being that cowardly approach. And, you know, last year at Global Entrepreneur Week, I had a guy come up to me after the after my presentation, he wanted me to look at his business plan and I took it from him, you know, and I said, well, what are you going to do? He goes, I'm putting eBay and Amazon out of business. I handed him <laughs> the plan back and I said, no, you're not. And he goes, what do you mean? I said, you don't have a fucking chance and I don't even need to look at this thing to tell you that. That's brave. And don't be that brave. I don't know if that's brave or dumb. Well, anyway, he might be listening. I want to be, I mean, I, I felt bad, but at the same time, like, I mean, you know, I'm right. Right. Like, I, I mean, do you have a billion dollars for your idea? And, you know, it was just, and you know, the thing was, is I actually did end up talking to him because I felt bad after I did that. So I listened to him and all, and the thing was, he didn't even realize that his idea was something that I had personally used like eight years prior. It was like, the, remember the things that would help you create listings on eBay? Yeah. And we used them, like, we tried those along the way, too. I was like, dude, this is out there. It exists. Yeah, He's like, what do you mean? I'm like, I've used this exact product years ago. He was like, what? Yeah. So, I mean, sometimes the best advice in business is harsh advice. Oh, God, I give it all the time, and I feel bad. But I feel I'd feel even worse if I encouraged you for something that was right. going to just, like, and, like, that now, on the flip side, too, I, I will say that on the way to all of the good ideas and the most profitable things I've had, there have been haters on the path. Yes. There's, there are so many people that no matter what are just going to tell you something won't work, but they don't know why. Well, I think being able to discern who to listen to and keep a close network of people Correct. with trusted information, like th this goes back to part one where you prepare to try 10 things and one will fail. You're going to have three dumb ideas, two that weren't well baked out, two that were just uh, on a whim. You might have one good one in there. So make sure that you have some trusted advisors around you that have either done what you've done. They have some sort of relevant experience and it's opinions that you can trust and that will be honest with you and not send you down a wild goose chase. I you think that's to, really important. You need to find people that'll be honest. Yes. And they'll be honest and like, and here's the thing. Oh my God, nothing drives me crazier more than when someone comes to me and I do a lot of this. I've given a lot of advice to people over the, over the years about their business plan, about their idea. 
And that's actually with the next section, which we're going to get into too, is to like how to stick your toe in the pool and test the waters and create the plan and maybe raise some money and do some stuff like that. But, you know, nothing drives me crazier when someone wants my advice about their idea and then I give it to them. It's not what they want to hear. And they want to freaking argue with me about it. I'm like, do you want my advice? Because I'm telling you what, I still think it sucks. Or... I think this is a great idea, but you're going to need $5 million in two years to get this off the ground. And they're like, well, what do you mean? I'm like, you're going to need $5 million to build this. This is remarkably complex. And like, couldn't we put more people on it and make the thing go faster? Well, nine women don't make a baby in a month, dude. It's just that simple. Like, would have ha- would having more programmers working on Gigabook necessarily speeded our ability to understand that we needed to know what only users were going to and their use was going to tell us? Nope. So, you know, um, it, all right. I want to finish this one, but I want to talk about a couple of our unsailed ships, the things that we really messed up. <laughs> and the, I think the one that stands out the most was. When we had made a lot of, okay, remember when we tried to launch our own line of classified sites? Yeah. So we built them. We built them. Like, did you forget about well, that? Well, that's back to being dumb. Like, we tried to take down Craigslist. Yeah. We're, <laughs> and Backpage and all those other things. But the, so we built them. And you know what? They were good. They were actually like decent software products. But we yeah. quickly realized that no one places ads on empty classified sites. Yeah. Like, they, even if you. And then none of the search engines really recognize them as being real. They probably would have if we got some action in there, but no one was actually placing ads and they were free. And we were, and we did that because we got tired of getting thrown off. We kept getting like getting, having our accounts get blacklisted because apparently you're not supposed to place a thousand ads in a day for free. But what do you remember? That was the main one that I remember that at was the it, time. Did I like, use your example? Yeah, I thought for sure that was going to work at the time. So I was like, oh, yeah, we'll do this. And it's going to be so easy to take off. because we, we built could, like yeah. 20 of them too. <laughs> like we have like ads 411 and the ad, ads dog, ads yeah. gator. Like we had pretty much all these crazy things. And, uh, you know, there. I mean, I... <laughs> Yeah, that was pretty bad. I mean, there was also a lot of things that we tried. Like we, yeah. we joke about the Twitter bot. There was a zillion efficiency. There were. And there were some that worked and some that worked once and never worked again. We actually Um, used a couple that revolutionized the business. Like uh, we, uh, okay, you remember uh, you talk about software and being able to create efficiency. If you can get it right, like we used a service that was monitoring our point of sale system that prevented us from selling the same thing to two different people. And it also meant I didn't have to get up in the middle of the night and ring out sales. Yeah. I mean, previously that was a manual 24 seven job for us. That that changed our lives. That changed our lives. It also fetched tickets for us that we had bought, which was another huge pain in the butt. Um, So, you know, we tried some things too, that created a lot of efficiency. I always tell people we have a lot of unsailed ships. Um, I still have some of them. What about the sports jury? I mean, that one in theory could have worked. Yeah, that was uh, us. So I believe there's opportunity and failure sometimes. So we bought a couple content sites. I mean, sites that had done really well, but then, you know, they just didn't really pan out. I think a lot of the things too is, is, you know, if you talk to Matt Watson, he'll say, be careful what you put in your backpack. Because if you're not really dedicated to seeing something through, it, the ability or likelihood that it's going to be successful is small. 
Mm-hmm. So, well, anyway, um, let's wrap this one up and we're going to come into the thrilling conclusion of the million dollar bedroom store. We're going to talk a little bit about how to create a plan, how to set yourself up for success. Um, and we'll talk a little bit about where this story kind of ended up. So, uh, you coming back for the final round, dude, I will be here. I can't wait. See you soon. Thanks so much for listening to this episode of Startup Hustle with Matt DeCarsi and Matt Watson. For more great content and to stay up to date, visit startuphustle.xyz. And if you enjoyed today's episode, please rate and subscribe. And we'll catch you next time on Startup Hustle.